Hello, and thanks for joining us on the Christian Celebration Center podcast. Our prayer is that this audio will encourage you in Christ and challenge you from God's word. Enjoy the message. All right, Matthew chapter 11, our text from last week, and we will begin with this text this Sunday as well as Jesus was speaking to his disciples and others in the vicinity in that moment. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, it's an invitation to us. And Jesus says this, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. As I share God's word with you today and what I believe he's put on my heart for today, I just want to ask that you would be open to the Holy Spirit filling in the blanks. Because I'm only going to talk for so long. I'm only going to say so much. But would you be open to the Holy Spirit filling in the blanks, connecting the dots in your own life and situations? And Lord, we come before you and we ask you to do just that. Lord, we ask that you'll speak into each one of us right where we're at. Lord, I pray that there will be things that you speak into someone's heart today that will remain with them for a long time because you love them. In your name, Lord, amen and amen. You can be seated. Easy as pie. Easy as pie. Now, during this series, I'm not trying to give the impression to you that life is a walk in the park every single day. We know that it's not. There are times that are difficult, there are times that are challenging, and I'm also not necessarily saying that following Jesus is the easiest thing that you'll ever do. But what we hear from Jesus is that his yoke is easy. And that's interesting because uh, sometimes it seems like it's easier to go through the wide gate, as Jesus described. Sometimes it seems easier to go with the flow, right, of a culture, or go with the flow downstream, I don't even have to row, just just people are just taking me down this road. And it can seem to be easier, but yet Jesus says my yoke is easy. His yoke, his his teachings, his callings, his rhythms, his pace of life, his path for our life. Jesus said it's it's easy. Almost all of the English Bible translations use the word easy here in this passage of Scripture. But it doesn't necessarily mean that it's easy as pie. It is more meaning it is desirable. It is attractive and appealing. It is pleasurable. It is pleasant. Even uh, one translation is delightful. It is good, and it is definitely better than any other path that we could take, any other yoke that could be put on us. Jesus said his yoke is Easy And so as I, as I was digging into this passage several months ago, I, I began to think and to pray and to look in the scriptures. I'm like, Lord, what is your yoke? Your yoke, your yoke is easy. So you're, you're coming around us. And we talked about that last week. And he's sharing that with us. And he's putting his arm around us. And, and he's taking us forward in the path that he has for us. And so I was wondering, like, what specifically, though, is his teaching, his callings for us. And there are so many facets to it. I want to speak about one facet that I believe is part of the yoke that Jesus calls us to take on. And it's this. Obedience. Obedience. And you might think, well, Pastor Keith, 
Okay, if obedience is part of the yoke that Jesus calls us to take on, is that easy? I mean, if you think about your path, your life, have you found obedience or disobedience to be easier? Think about that for a second. I mean, is following the right path as God defines it easier than not? Is doing the right thing as God defines it easier than not? You might agree with me that there are times when obedience just seems hard, right? It just seems hard. But in today's message, I I want us to try to make a case for this. That obedience is actually the easier path than disobedience. And there are many case studies in the scriptures that we could look at. We're going to look at specifically one of those, and it's from the account of a man in the Old Testament named Jonah. Jonah was a, an Old Testament prophet. He began around 785 B.C. doing ministry and doing what God had called him to do. And he served at a time when King Jeroboam II was king of Israel. You can read about him in 2 Kings. You can read about him several places in the New Testament. And then obviously in the Old Testament book of Jonah, where we'll be for the, for the remainder of this message. This captivating account of our man Jonah begins with him receiving very clear instructions from the Lord. Very clear instructions from the Lord. Verse 1 says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amiti, and said, Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. That's pretty clear, right? Those are pretty clear instructions. Go to the city of Nineveh. Now, there are times when we read in the scriptures and uh, we, we, we read what the Lord wants us to do and how we are to obey, but sometimes it doesn't seem to make sense right away or right in the moment. Maybe it's something the Lord prompts you to do and you're like, that doesn't quite make sense. But yet, you feel like that prompting of the Holy Spirit. In this case, God not only gave him the what he was to do, God gave him the why. What? Go to Nineveh. Why? Because its wickedness has come up before me. Because nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Nothing that happened this week, last week, the week before, or will happen next week is hidden from God's sight anywhere on planet earth. Anywhere. God sees it all. And God saw this city of Nineveh. It was the capital of Assyria, which in present day, that's Iraq. And these people at that time were bloodthirsty they were violent. They wanted to have world domination. I mean, if you just kind of picture that, that's who they were. They, they were a rough, rough group of people. And their wickedness had got to a place where God's like, you know what? I'm going to do something about this. And so he sends, Nineveh, he sends Jonah to Nineveh and says, go there, for that wickedness has come up before me. Now, Nineveh was 500 miles northeast of Jonah's hometown. 500 miles from his hometown in Galilee. 500 miles. That is a long trip when you consider he didn't have modern transportation. 500 miles. That that would be like you or I after church today walking to St. Louis, Missouri. Or getting on our camel. I, I sold mine. I don't have mine anymore. No, I'm joking. But getting on your camel or your donkey or walking to St. Louis, Missouri. Come on. That's a long trip. That would cost Jonah a lot of money, would it not? I mean, think about driving across town now. It costs a lot of money, 
But going 500 miles would have cost him a lot of money. It would have cost him a lot of time. A lot of time if he obeyed God. And don't forget that Jonah was a foreigner. He was a foreigner who God was sending to another culture to step into that culture that he had never been in before and tell them, you guys are all wrong. How does that go over in our culture today? If you go up to someone and say, you're wrong. Okay, how do you like it when someone comes up to you and says, you're wrong? Doesn't feel good, right? Nobody likes that. I don't know of anybody that loves that. And so there was a possibility not only that Jonah was going to spend some money, spend some time, but there was a possibility that he would be rejected, and nobody likes that either. And when you put all that together, you could say that obedience is hard, that obedience is not easy. But I want us today to take a few moments in this message to consider what his disobedience cost. Because you can take this to the bank. Disobedience always comes with a much higher price tag. It's an inflated cost. It always, always, always is more. God told Jonah to travel to Nineveh, which was 500 miles away. Instead of traveling those 500 miles to Nineveh, Jonah decided to go in the exact opposite direction. And that's what disobedience is. We sometimes want to sugarcoat it. Oh, this, this will be all right today. It's not a big deal. I can handle this. God understands because he knows my needs. Hey, what is disobedience? It is going in the exact opposite direction of what God had said. And that's what Jonah decided to do. What we see in the next verse is this. Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. And after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. He was fleeing to a city which is uh, what is now southwest Spain. Approximately 2,500 miles away. Now you tell me, what's more expensive? Walking? Or driving to St. Louis, Missouri, or walking or driving to San Diego, California. This would have taken Jonah so much more time just to follow through with disobedience. 2,500 miles away in the opposite direction. But consider how much money it would have cost him as well. I wonder if he emptied out his checking account. And then as I was reading this passage and just praying about this, this thought hit me. The money that God had provided for Jonah's missions trip to Nineveh, Jonah decided to take and to use to fund his disobedience. Every time, as I've been preparing for today, when I come to that part in my notes, I stopped. I literally stopped every single time. Because to me, that is a sobering thought. When we understand that as a believer... God's divine power has given us everything that we need for life and godliness. That means God, God gives us energy. He gives us mental bandwidth. He gives us strength. He gives us resources. He gives us everything that we need to do the right thing, to follow him and his ways. He gives us everything. And what happens when we disobey? We take what God has provided for his mission, for his purposes for our life, and we use them for disobedience. 
We use that energy. We use that bandwidth, that mind. We use that resource that God has given to us. We use money. We use whatever that God has provided for us, and we use it for disobedience. And in this case, Jonah used the money that God had given him for a missions trip to another city to help them know God in order to fund his disobedience. Well, God stepped in and did some very unique things in this account. Verse 4 says, And the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. Consider the stress on these unsuspecting sailors. Think about that. The mental anguish, the physical exhaustion as they're trying everything that they can do to try to get back to land, to throw all their cargo and goods over so that it would be lighter, so that they could somehow survive. They're each crying out to uh, whatever God that they serve, whatever idol that they had brought along with them. Understand, these were hardworking people who were grown men, burly sailors, and they were so scared that they began to cry. Picture that for a second. Consider the stress that was on these sailors because of what? Jonah's disobedience. Consider the financial ramifications for these people because of Jonah's disobedience. Think about that for a second. I mean, if a ship is hired to transport goods, when the ship arrives without the goods, what happens? It's possible the captain of the ship lost his job. It's possible that these sailors didn't get paid for this voyage. At a minimum, the owner of the ship would have lost a really good client. Major financial ramifications to these people who seem to have nothing to do with Jonah's disobedience. All because of Jonah's disobedience. When we disobey God, when we do not follow his ways, other people pay the price. We talk about the yoke of Jesus, which is part of it, obeying him, following him. Think about the yoke that we put on people. Often it's our family when we choose to disobey, when we choose to disobey God, when we choose to go a different direction. Think about that. Often it is the family that bears the brunt. Some of you have had a child be rebellious, whether while they're in their house or after they get out of the house and they just they go through a stage, maybe they're still in right now and you're still praying for them, they're a prodigal son, but let's say they're in the home and they're rebelling against your authority and against the things of the Lord. Who bears the brunt of that? The family. The family feels it. Some of you walk through that. Some of you are walking through that right now. You feel it. You've experienced it. Why? Because of someone else's disobedience. Consider, and this gets me, consider the violence of Nineveh. I had never thought about this before. But consider how much more violence and hurt there was in Nineveh because it took Jonah weeks and weeks later and longer to get there. Since Jonah didn't obey right away and arrive on this day, there was a point in time from when he should have arrived, from when he finally arrived because of his disobedience. 
And when I thought about that, I began to think about, I wonder how many more kids were abused in that violent city. I wonder how many more murders took place and rapes. I wonder how many more precious people were trafficked. I wonder how many more thefts took place. How much more corruption took place from the time when Jonah should have arrived and preached against it to the time weeks and weeks later when Jonah actually arrived to preach against it. I am convinced that there were precious people who lost their lives because Jonah did not obey. Disobedience comes at a much higher cost. And part of that cost was almost Jonah's very life. He was literally a breath away from dying because of his disobedience. A healthy man, when he gets on the ship, thinking he's got it together, he's running from God, he wants to do his own thing, thinking that his life is laid out before him, he's got a better plan than God, and then what happened is he came within literally a breath of dying in that state of disobedience. We see in chapter 2 of this account some of Jonah's prayer after the sailors had cast lots. And you see what happened here was the uh, sailors are freaking out. The captain of the ship are freaking out. They pray to their idols to no avail. And finally they, they have this thought like, this is not a normal storm. We've, we've seen deadliest catch. We've seen some storms. And they had seen some storms. This was not a normal storm. This was exponentially more tumultuous on those waters. And they like, oh, finally they're like, oh, something's going on here. Who's guilty? There's got to be somebody here guilty because some higher power is making this happen. It was that bad. And so they finally decided to cast lots. Jonah gets the short end of the stick. And finally he confesses. And this is what he says to them. I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, and so they asked him, What should we do to make the sea calm down for us? It's Jonah's reply. Pick me up, throw me into the sea, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. There came a point when Jonah had a light bulb, and he's like, Oh, man. Oh, man. I've put these people through an awful lot. Maybe you can relate in your life the state of disobedience you were in and you think about the harm that you cause people around you. The sailors tried at different measures so that they wouldn't have to do that. Finally they asked God for mercy of what they were getting ready to do and they took Jonah and they, they threw him overboard. Now I want us to rewind for a moment. Prior to being thrown overboard which was horrific in this storm. Prior to that happening, I want us to consider what Jonah had already lost before he was ever thrown overboard. What, what did Jonah already lose before he ever was thrown overboard and then whoop, he's getting ready to die? I would submit that Jonah lost a number of things. One of those being this, he lost the voice of God. He lost the voice of God. Do you remember how this account began? God spoke to him clearly, go to the city of Nineveh. He had been a prophet in Israel. God had spoken to him before, I'm sure, and he uh, relayed the messages that God had gave him, God had given him. 
And then in verse 1, we see God giving him a very clear message, a very clear instruction. Jonah heard the message. Jonah understood the message. He just didn't want to do it. He didn't want to obey. But as we read through this account, as he is spending time running from God and he's on this ship, what we see is that Jonah doesn't seem to be hearing the voice of God anymore. There's no account of Jonah having another word from God coming. And it's because of this. It's a sobering reality about disobedience. The further you go from God, the harder it is to hear God. The further you go from God, the harder it is to hear God. Now, I know Pastor Pat's voice pretty well. Uh, we've been able to serve together for uh, many, many years. I know his voice. And so if he says, uh, Pastor Keith, or he says, Keith, um, I, I, I know I could pick it out of the crowd. That's Pastor Pat because we've had so many conversations. But the further that I get from him, it probably would become a little bit more difficult to hear. So can you say my name? All right, I hear you. I'm just going to keep going here a little bit. Still hear you. Still hear you. You still saying it? I tried it out. I went really far. And I could not hear him. I don't know how loud you were talking. But the further you go, harder it is to hear. And I know his voice. I can understand it when he talks. Interestingly, he didn't move. I did. I did. I ran. I couldn't hear him. Still talking, or he could have talked, even if he talked louder. There's no way. I was far enough away, there's no way I could have heard him. The farther you go from God, the harder it is to hear God. Jonah, because he was running from God in a state of disobedience, couldn't hear God's voice. Does that mean God wasn't talking to him? That means he could not hear him. And the thing of disobedience where we think, I can handle this, it's just a little bit, it's not a big deal, doesn't work like that. The farther you go from God and his will and his ways, the harder it is to hear from God. Jonah lost God's voice. And he lost something else. Jonah lost his compassion. He lost his compassion. Remember, what is happening during that storm? Sailors are freaking out. They are crying out to their idols. They're doing anything that they can do, doing a little dance, do whatever they could do to get the storm to stop. They're doing everything they know nautically to make it happen, throwing things overboard. They're doing everything that they can. They can't stop the storm. They know they're going down. They are freaking out. They are literally crying. These grown men are crying. And what is Jonah doing? He's taking a nap. You can't make this stuff up. If you read this account, you see he had gone down below and he was taking a nap. 
I believe the reason why he was taking a nap is because he didn't care. There were people above him that were crying. You don't think he heard that? He didn't care. He just pulled the covers up, turned over. Another sobering reality about disobedience is that disobedience causes our hearts to harden toward God and toward others. Jonah, before, probably had some compassion in doing what God had called him to do. But in his state of of disobedience, man, his heart just got harder and harder and harder and harder. With every step with which he ran from God, his heart got harder. Not just toward God, but toward others. He lost his compassion. And then finally, he lost his testimony. He lost his testimony. Jonah was a Hebrew. He was a chosen one of the Lord. Called by God to be a prophet. And the people on the ship had no idea. He was just another guy. He was just another person running away from whatever. He lost his testimony. When Jonah was running from God, I would say he wasn't just running from his mission. He was running from his identity. He was a Hebrew called of God. He and the other Jewish people were, during the Old Testament times, to be pointing people to God. They were to be showcasing God's love and power. They were to be people who put on display, pointing to the time when the Christ would come out of the Jewish people. That was his identity. And he was not only running from his mission, he was running from his identity. And here's the thing with disobedience. Disobedience silences your testimony. It throws a blanket over your identity and your God-given mission so that people can't even see it. You just look like everybody else. And it silences the testimony that God has given you. Jonah lost all of that. Jonah lost all of that. Before he was even thrown overboard, he lost all of those things. Disobedience comes with a very high cost. Disobedience comes with a much higher cost than obedience. Why is it that we seem to worry so much about what obedience to God will cost instead of being honest about what disobedience will cost? And often I would say it may be more so like this. Why is it that we worry so much about how much obedience might cost? Because often we don't know the full cost and we think it's bigger than it really is. Instead of being honest about what disobedience will cost. Disobedience comes with a much higher price tag and that's what Jonah experienced. And when I talk about disobedience, I'm not just talking about, you know, drunk driving or uh, this afternoon someone who's a believer looks at pornography or cheats at work tomorrow or lies to your parents tomorrow, whatever it might be. Those are disobedient acts against God, no doubt about it. But imagine this. Imagine you're in a store doing your shopping and the Lord prompts you to go pray for a person. What is that obedience going to cost you? Somewhat inconvenient, right? Time, because we're usually in a hurry. Well, Lacey's not when she's shopping for clothes, but grocery shopping, we're usually in a hurry. Okay, it could cost an awkward moment, right? 
you might get rejected. Like, what? You're crazy. Like, what? But what will disobedience potentially cost in that scenario? It might cost someone from cost someone not getting their healing. If God was looking for someone that would step out in faith, it could cost a healing. It, it, it might result in that person not coming to know the Lord that day as their Lord and Savior. We know God still wants to pursue them, but you see what I'm saying. It, 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 the, some of the costs might be people around that if you stepped out in faith and stepped out in obedience, that, that just by saying, hey, can I pray with you? Or I feel like I need to pray for you. Or is there anything I can pray with you about? Or whatever that you say, whatever the Lord's putting on your heart to say. There potentially would be other people around you that would hear that. And they what? They would be seeing the light shine in you, pointing them to the Heavenly Father. You see what I'm saying? There is a cost that comes with our obedience. Jesus says, my yoke is easy. Like, what? Well, when you compare the path of obedience with the path of disobedience, I would submit that the path of obedience is easier. The path of obedience is the easier path. Now, Jonah did disobey, okay? He did disobey. But God, in his grace and his mercy, kept pursuing him. He sends this huge storm after he's thrown overboard right before Jonah's like one last bubble coming up. The Bible says that a huge fish was sent by the Lord to swallow him up. As Jonah is in the belly of this fish, he prays. This is part of the prayer in chapter 2. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. Jonah had a change of heart. In this desperate state, he got desperate for God. In this desperate state, he humbled himself before the Lord and repented. And God forgave him. Isn't that amazing about God? He repented and God forgave him. Even at that point in Jonah's life, it wasn't all done because God continued to pursue him. I'm so thankful that Jonah repented, and I'm even more thankful that God shows us that he forgives, that he wasn't too far gone. Oh, I love the mercy of our God. I want you to know that you're not too far gone. No matter what it is that's happened in your life in the past, no matter what's happening even right now, whatever state you're in, you're not too far gone. That God is pursuing you, that God offers his forgiveness that we don't deserve at all, yet he offers and offers and offers. The word says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We don't deserve his forgiveness, but it is available. His forgiveness is total and complete and it's sweet. But I do want to point this out if I'm just being honest with you and honest with this passage. And that is, God's forgiveness takes care of the problem of sin. Amen? His blood washes away our sins, purifies us, cleanses us from sin. His forgiveness takes care of the problem of sin. But his choice... That being God, at times, is not to take away the problems caused by sin. It's very important for us to understand. There is a biblical reality 
called sowing and reaping. And I think it's worth taking just 30 seconds to make note of this, even in this passage. We see that after he was in the belly of that fish for three days, three nights, he repents. God keeps him alive. Only God could do that. This whole thing is miraculous. And then God had the fish vomit Jonah onto dry land. He was delivered from death. Amen. Was he delivered from vomit? He was not. Interesting detail in the text. Sowing and reaping is a real thing. Sowing and reaping is a real thing, whether we like it or not. I'm so thankful that there uh, are moments every single day when God, in his grace, helps us through the problems that we've caused with our sin. He gives us the grace to make it through, to help us, to give strength and mercy even to those around us, for us to make it through as we depend and we trust in him. But God does not always delete the vomit that we have produced. And that's a big reason why obedience to God, to his will, to his ways, taking on the yoke of Jesus in this area of obedience is the easier path. I think we would agree obedience on the front end is way easier than dealing with the pain and the sacrifice of disobedience on the back end. Jonah found that to be true. And when you go through today and tomorrow and the next day, I'm guessing that you're going to have opportunities to choose between obedience and disobedience. You're going to have opportunity because you're going to be tempted. We are all tempted. You're going to be tempted. You have opportunity to face that obedience or disobedience choice. Which way am I going to? Can I just remind you as we've come through this passage that obedience saves you from regret. Obedience to God and his will and his way saves you from missing out. It saves you time. It saves you money. It saves relationships. And it makes a really loud statement to God. Our obedience makes a statement to God and it sounds like this. I'm listening now. I'm listening. I'm listening. I love this about the account in Jonah. I said earlier that we have no record of God speaking to him or Jonah hearing God speak to him in this account from the time when he said, nope, I'm running from God until the time that he gets out of the fish. There's, there's no record of that. The whole time on the ship, there's no record of him hearing from God. But once Jonah gets vomited onto shore, and once he wipes off the goo, can you imagine how gross that was? Once he wipes that off, the very next thing we read is this, a word from God. Don't you love that? When Jonah came to a place in his life when he was ready to humbly repent before the Lord, and he, he navigated through the goo that he had produced, because of his sin, the very next thing we read is a word from God. Don't you love our God? It didn't give up on him. He gets a word. Again, and the word was, okay, go to the great city of Nineveh. Have you heard this one before? Jonah had, but this time he was listening. This time he was listening. The guidance of God, which we need, often follows obedience to God. We can't expect... To say, God, 
you know, I love you, but I'm going to do my own thing. And I'm going to walk in a state of disobedience from your will and your way. I know what you've said. I, I understand it. But I'm going to do this. And then expect God is going to lead and direct our lives. He's going to lead and he's going to help us and lead us along, lead us along. No, God's trying to get our attention. He might even send a storm in. He might even do that. Why? Because he loves so much. Jonah finally now was listening and then the guidance came. The word from God came. I remember when I was younger, there was a, just a, a specific time in my life where there was a specific sin struggle that I had. And I, for a, a while, was not willing to give it up. And, and I was at the same time praying, God, what is your will for my life? Big surprise, I didn't hear anything. And it wasn't until later on when I finally repented, truly repented of my sin... Drew a line in the sand saying, I'm not going back by God's grace. And then clarity began to come about God's will for my life. Should we be surprised by that? Because obedience makes a loud statement, I'm listening. And it makes a loud statement, I trust you. I trust you. God's commands... His instructions are given to us in the word because he loves us. He wants to protect us. He wants to provide for us. His commands are not burdensome. Remember, Jesus said, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. His commands, his instructions, his guidance for our life is not burdensome. His yoke is easy. Sometimes we think of it like that. Man, it's so hard. This, this. No, no, no. He's given us everything that we, can, we need for life of godliness. He's given it to us. His commands are not burdensome. I remember years ago I read about two teenagers who were dating. And on a, a warm summer evening, the boy said to the girl, Hey, uh, there, there's some people that live a couple streets away. I know that they have a pool in their backyard, and I heard that they're out of town. Let's go there. And so late, late one night, the boyfriend and girlfriend um, went over to these people's home. They were out of town. They quietly climbed the fence, and then the boy, wanting to show off for the girl, ran up to the diving board and just launched off into a dive. And the next sound that his girlfriend heard was a sickening crunch. Because there was no water in that pool, and the boy broke his neck. Now, did those homeowners put up a fence around that pool in order to keep everybody from having fun? No, that fence was up to keep kids safe. Why? Because they cared. See, the, the boundaries and the instructions that God gives to us are actually freeing and liberating. They're not burdensome. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. And he gives these things to us, these precepts that we find in Scripture for our lives. Why? In order to show that he is protecting us and that he is providing us. And when we obey, when we obey, we're making a loud statement, God, I trust you. I might not understand everything. It might be different than how other people are living, but God, I trust you. I trust you. And then finally, obedience makes this loud statement. God, I'm following you. Lord Jesus, I'm following you. Jesus said this, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. Makes a loud statement. God, I'm, I'm, I'm really following you. 
not just in word but in deed. You see, obedience to God will never earn a relationship with God, right? We're not saved by our works. None of us stand a chance in that regard. We're saved by his grace through our faith. So our obedience to God could never earn a relationship with God. And our obedience to God honestly cannot ever earn the love of God, right? Our, our, we cannot obey enough where God's like, yeah, you're good enough. I'm going to love you now. No, no, no. God loves us. We cannot earn his love. But when we are obedient, it does reveal that we love God back. I believe that's what Jesus was trying to bring out here. Hey, if you truly love me, if you're truly in, if you're truly believing I am who I say I am, then you will obey my teaching. Like, why wouldn't we, Jesus is thinking. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. Why wouldn't we take the path of obedience? He gives us everything that we need in order to do it. And it reveals our love for him. Jesus, I'm following you. I'm following you. I might not get everything. It might be hard at times, but I'm following you. For your yoke is easy and your burden is light. Would you please bow your heads with me today? Thank you for listening. You know, we believe God has something amazing in store for you today. And now is the perfect time to take a few moments.